feelings. That's a caution. Special delivery. Caution. caution. <laughs> really, what does that mean? You never know <laughs> what yeah. that means. It was pretty exciting, isn't it? Well, this has been a fun, fun discussion so far, it hasn't has. it? Mm -hmm. So Johnny's really got nice. an octoglove. I with know. Five, five fingers. fingers. <laughs> yeah. I just, you know, we should get one of those for Mark. For Mark? Yeah, you know, over at the cafeteria. I oh, mean, yeah, he really yeah, needs he would, two, he more, need that. So two more digits. The, the dishes <laughs> oh, all that thing. <laughs> you know, that, was, that was my very first job when I went to university. I worked in the dish room. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> it's been a few years ago. And okay. my boss would come in and see me working so hard. And like, I, I'd go in and see Mark. He's just having the time. Of, He's a good guy. He's grateful he's got machines to wash the dish. Well, I did too. But my boss says, you know, Roger, uh, how'd you like to be a millionaire? Yeah. <laughs> he said, well, just work here a million hours because I got paid a dollar an hour. <laughs> Pretty smart guy. Yeah. I added it, up that and fast. It, and it worked. No. It worked. <laughs> yeah. Well, something really fascinating. <laughs> and then uh, Tobias told us about Eastman Kodak. I mean, about Eastman Kodak, the yeah. company, and they made the Kodak and film, and boy, that br brought back a lot of memories for me. I had the most wonderful eighth grade science teacher. His name was Max Mitchell, Mr. Mitchell. And um, he was the guy that inflated a balloon full of hydrogen by electrolyzing water. And then he put a string around it and let it float up. And he lit the string, the fire went up, and it ignited the bloom. And there was that explosion. And he wrote that that was water being created, hydrogen combining with oxygen from air to create water. And it just changed my life, that one lecture. And I'm grateful. By the way, I don't know if anyone's been paying attention, but hydrogen cars mm. are starting to become much more popular. Yeah, people are starting to realize that they're the best electric car. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're, they're kind of neat. But was it really loud, though, when that went off? Is that why it got your attention so much? Or? No, it was <laughs> the fact that fire was water being made. I don't know. I just thought, man, you could, when I saw that, I thought, you could run a car. Right then because that explode. That. yeah. And there'd be no pollution because the only pollution would be pure water. I just thought, that is so perfect. But Mr. Mitchell did something else. Um, on a different day, he told us about photography, kind of like Tobias did today. But in his closet in the science room, he had a darkroom set up. And he invited us to do photography. And guess who took him up on it? Yeah. <laughs> guess who spent the most time in that darkroom of anybody? <laughs> I took pictures. I just love taking pictures. And then I love going in and developing them. So you have that roll of th film that you put in a camera, and you have to turn it just a little bit to get it started, and then put the top on, because if you turn it more, it'll expose the film, and all your pictures will just come out black. So you get it started, and you close up the camera. You know, a lot of students 
probably never used a film camera before. <laughs> Boy, I had. <laughs> but you turn it until it got to number one, and then you'd take a picture. And you know, uh, his cameras were a dollar. See, I could earn one of those in an hour. <laughs> Except they were before me, and I think that their dollar was worth a lot more than my dollar. Oh. Just like a dollar today, you know, you can buy a lollipop with it. So our, our dollars have kind of <laughs> shrunk over time. But it was so amazing to me to be able to take those pictures. And then you'd take the film into the dark room, you'd open the camera, you'd pull it out, and on my camera, I'd have to separate the film from the backing paper, and then you had to put it on a little roll. And the roll had these grooves. It was two pieces of metal that were like uh, spirals of, of wire, and you'd have to get it caught in the middle and then roll it around, because if the film touched when you stuck it in the solution to develop it, it wouldn't develop there, because it wouldn't let the chemical, the developer, get on it. And so you'd get it started, and then in complete dark, you couldn't even use the, the red safe light. It had to be completely dark, you'd roll that on. And I got so I could do that really fast, and it was perfect. It wasn't touching anywhere. Put it in the little can, put the lid on it, then you'd turn the light on, and you'd pour in the developer. Mm -hmm. And the developer would go in and take that reaction, and usually it was something to do with silver. Silver has reactions that are photosynthesis, I mean photosensitive. Uh, and so you develop the reaction, and when it was done, you dump out the developer, and you'd time it. It had to be the right temperature, and it'd be just the right amount of time. You'd dump it out, and then you'd pour in another solution, which was called stopper. Stopper. And it would stop the developing reaction. And stopper just had to get in there, and you dumped it right back out. It didn't have to be there but just a few seconds. And then you'd put in fixer. And fixer would make the emulsion harden and make the thing so it wouldn't rub off real easy. And you'd have to keep the fixer on for about five minutes. Then you could open it up, pull the film out, and you'd rinse it, and then hang it up, put a weight on it, and let it dry or something. You look at your pictures. And the pictures were really strange because where you took a picture of something white, on the film it looked dark. And where you took a picture of something dark on the film it looked light. It was called a negative. Mm -hmm. It would be the reverse of the picture. And the reason it was a negative is so you could make a positive or make a print. So you then take this strip of film and put it in a holder, pull it over the one you want to print, stick it in an enlarger. Enlarger like a little projector, and you'd have a paper holder on the table, and you'd focus the image so it was perfectly in focus. Then you'd turn off the light, open the, the top of the holder, put in a piece of photo paper, put the holder back down so it held it real flat, and then you'd turn on the enlarger for a certain amount of time. I mean, this stuff that we never got to do with our cell phones. No. And the interesting thing is, then you would have to run the enlarger light for exactly the right number of seconds. If you didn't go long enough, the picture would come out way too light. If you went too long, it'd turn out way dark. It had to be perfect. So we'd do a test strip. The test strip, you'd take a thin strip of paper, and you'd put it on top of the enlarger, 
And then you'd take a piece of cardboard, turn on the enlarger, and you'd go five seconds. Mm -hmm. Then you move it over five more seconds, move it over five more seconds. So this one, by the time you're done, this was 30 seconds, this strip was 25, 20, 15, 20. You'd develop it in the water, put in the stop, then put in the fixer, then turn on the light and look at it and see which one looked the best. Hmm. And you'd then put the paper in, turn off the light again, expose it for that many seconds. And it was really, really fun. It's called making enlargements. And that was all black and white, black and white oh. photography. It was interesting that you could do some really different effects. You know how with your, with your cell phone you can pick out different effects you want? Like, mm -hmm. well, you know the different effects. Mm -hmm. Well, with the enlarger you can do effects too. So when the light is exposing the paper, you can come in there and make it be dark around the edges by shadowing with your hands. <laughs> That's yeah. pretty fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could tell a lot of stories about photography. <laughs> and I know, so we won't get will. any of those. But it is very, very interesting at work. Mm. You know, there's, there's something, though, that needs to be spoken about today, and that is one of the most remarkable things that I've ever seen or heard of, and it's your brain. Mine? I, I pointed out this way. <laughs> yes, yours, of course. How did you know? You're psychic, right? Psychic. She knows what you mean, whether you do or not, right? But the human brain is, is really, really amazing. As we're talking about photography, we have those boxes. In the early cameras, they had a hole, and they would have what, what they called a pinhole. It was a little hole. And so as the light would come to that pinhole, the part of the image over there would come through the pinhole and it would only land on this part of the film because the rest was shadowed from that point. And if there was something over here, it would only go on that part of the film. So because all the light had to go through that little hole, you'd get an image that looked like whatever's in front of the camera, right? When they found out you could do that better with a lens, you put a lens in there and then it would focus the light, only it would focus it even sharper. And, and you could actually focus it by moving the, the piece up and back, which was, was pretty amazing. But a lens does something kind of interesting. Do you know what a lens does to an image? When the light comes through the lens, it flips it upside down. Mm -hmm. So if the people are right side up on the image, the wrong side up. Interesting, and that's why when you look around and you see people, they all look like they're upside down. Yeah. No, it, it's because in the front of our eyes we have a lens, mm -hmm. and the lens actually inverts the image, and that's why everybody looks upside down. <laughs> but they don't. They don't. No. Not for you. <laughs> everybody, but. Page sees people upside down, but, but actually we do. We see people upside down. Mm -hmm. And the fascinating thing, this marvelous organ that we call the brain, flips them right side up for us. And how does it do it? It moves the paper around? No, it does it electronically. It does it like a computer, virtually. It just makes it look right side up so that we can see it. And I think that's amazing. It's really fascinating to understand how the brain takes a picture. Mm 
because we're copying a lot of the brain when we, when we make these little boxes that Eastman called a Kodak. When light comes to the eye, there is a lens, and the lens captures the light and focuses it to a little plate in the back of the eye, only we call that the the retina. The retina, yes, that's right. It's a little place. And the retina is a place that has all these little photosensors up and down. We also have a thing called a shutter. What do you call a shutter in the human eye? Your iris. Iris, yeah. And we're growing into iris. There's the pupil. The pupil. <laughs> Things are looking up. Yeah. <laughs> so the pupil is that little thing. When, when you're in a bright light, it gets little. Mm-hmm. When you're in a real dark light, it gets big. That's right. Okay? Mm-hmm. And that is to allow you to be able to see when it's bright outside or when it's darker outside. It's an amazing feature that was built into our eyes so that we can see in many more conditions. We would be a lot more blind in bright or dark light if we didn't have an adjustable pupil, mm-hmm. right? So then, the, and that helps control the amount of light, but the light comes back and all those little uh, photons of light coming from the different objects that are out in front of us get inverted coming through the lens and they hit these little sensors, photosensors, light sensors on this plate. And I like to think of them all as in a real, real nice row. Actually in a neither they're a little bit more random than that, but it's pretty much so. And every time that eye, light coming through the eye hits one of those sensors, the sensors, oh, I see something, and it shoots out electricity through the nerve, which goes to the brain. Oh, I see it, I see it. <laughs> electricity. It's still there. Another electricity. And the eye actually shoots electricity in images, it doesn't uh, just stand all the time. It actually takes pictures, like a movie is a bunch of pictures, and each one moves a little bit. Well, the eye can does that too. Sometimes, if you if you sweep your head just right, you see the images. That's your eye taking the pictures. You caught it, <laughs> all right. So, everywhere that there is light, one of those little rods or cones which are two different kinds of light sensors, sends an electrical image to the brain. The brain gets all of these electrical images and they all come in on different wires. Only the kind of wires that the, the body uses are called nerves. Mm-hmm. Boy, they got a lot of nerve to call them <laughs> that. But yeah, we have a lot of nerves. And so every single little sensor has a nerve that sends back a little bit of electricity to say, yeah, I can see it, I can see it. And rods and cones, well, that's for seeing black and white, and especially in the dark, and for seeing color. And so they send all that information back, and it all comes into the brain through this big optic nerve. And interestingly, and this is where it really gets almost spooky exciting, the wires coming in aren't all laid out in the pattern of the image. They just, there's a bundle and it comes into the eye. Mm -hmm. I mean, into the brain from the eye and the brain's getting all these pulses. But then the brain figures out 
how to organize those pulses to make sense of them. And you say, well, maybe, maybe someone just wired it so it's just like across the top row, the second row. But it isn't so because when they repair the optical nerve and they hook them up the wrong place, you still get a good picture. And that's because the brain, by seeing an image and moving around and seeing what part moves how, it figures out where that little signal is coming from and it corrects it corrects the image. It's pretty smart, it's huh? Yeah. Did you know that the brain is the smartest organ in the bottom body? It is? Yeah, the brain is the smartest organ in the body. It's smarter than the leg. That's not an organ. Did you know the skin's an organ? I didn't but it's know not that. very smart. <laughs> really? It's touchy. <laughs> Has feelings. Okay, well, so these are, things, <laughs> these are things that are kind of interesting. Now, I wanted to demonstrate some of the amazing powers of the brain. There are some things that we understand, we know about, I mean, kind of black and white. Like the brain is smart enough to know, hey, I need oxygen, I need food. For goodness sakes, heart, pump. Mm -hmm. It's all <laughs> The heart is controlled by the brain. And it's controlled in what we call an involuntary action. In other words, even if we're sleeping and not paying any attention, the brain still saying, you need to pump again. Oxygen's getting low. Mm -hmm. And so it controls our body, controls our motion, our limbs. It allows us to see, allows us to hear, allows us to taste. All of these things come into the brain. It's a, a very, very amazing organ. But we also have abilities that sometimes are very, very hard to explain. Sometimes people do things that, that we just can't explain normally. And uh, it's in that realm that I want to move into this next phase of our experiment today. Okay. okay. I'd like to show you some experimental cards that I have. Some people call these... Uh, playing cards. I call them experiment cards. And you can see this is a joker. I can see that. He's that, happy and he's dancing. That, that could be me. <laughs> but really? this particular one isn't me. This is Tobias. <laughs> you can tell by the shoes and the hat. And the striped shirt. It's okay. a, definitely a bell shirt. Okay? So this, this is a group of, of cards. I'm just going to show you. They they all have different uh, kinds of numbers, and, and they're, some are black and some are red. But this is a very special set of game cards. And I want to thank the wonderful person that sent these. Would you like to see how they're different? Oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah. What can, can you check earth? that out? This says Science Live, and it says, can you read that right there for me, please? As unpredictable as quantum logic, Piaget Monet. <laughs> as I'm unpredictable as quantum logic, isn't that perfect? Now you know about that. We we learn about the atom, and how the electron goes around in the atom. Mm -hmm. And then when we get in a higher level chemistry class, they say, and guess what? It doesn't just go around like this. Not like the orbit of a planet around the sun. And the best we can do 
is to have a prediction of where the electron will probably be at any moment in time and as unpredictable as quantum logic. <laughs> I love that smile. <laughs> Page Monet. Yeah, and, and did so you, that's saying I'm unpredictable. Did you see the picture of Page Monet? I, I don't did know. See Hopefully that. you can see that. Maybe you can see it better if I turn it like this. Let's go out. Can you see that? We're getting a close up. Close, close. Turn it, hold it still. <laughs> and good. we're running out of we time now. That. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. That's great. Okay, now we've got that all figured out. I want to do something though, if if it's okay with you. I'm a little concerned. I'm gonna pull this little <laughs> joker over here for okay. a minute. And now I've got all these cards here. And uh, here, here's here's one. This one happens to be uh, you know, a two of, get at the right spot here, there we go, a two of clubs. So each one of these has a different uh, number. This one, yeah, that one's eight, right? Eight of hearts. Okay, what I'd like to do is to use the quantum powers of your brain. Oh, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> You know, to see, to see if you can find a card. And, and let's make it challenging. Should we have her find a red card or a black card? Some are red, it would be diamonds or hearts, and some are black, be spades or clubs. What, what should we do, Matthew? He wants red, so can we do black? <laughs> okay, for Matthew, could you just choose any red card? Good. Just one you want. That one? Okay, would you please show us what it is? Hold up so we can see it. I did. Is it red? Ah, oh, look at that. Okay, now, for those of us that disagree with Matthew, do you think you could go through and find us a black card? I don't know. Any black card? Do you find one? And is it black? Ah, two. I'm just space. lucky. So we've got black and we've got red. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. Now, how did she do that? There was, I guess, a 50-50 chance that she was going to get red, 50-50 chance to get black, but she got them both right. Yeah. Let's see how powerful she is. I'm going to put the red cards right here, and I'm going to put the black cards right here. And I'm going to hold them up, but I'm not going to let you see them. And I want you to tell me if it's red or if it's black. We're going to sort them and see how many she can get right. Does that make sense? Are you yeah, ready? I put a joker in the middle here to mark halfway through the deck. When we get there, we're going to switch it. Okay? Are you ready? Here's the first one. Which is it? Black. It's a black one. Wow. What about this one? Red. 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 She thinks they're all red. Black. Oh, not all of them. Black. Black. Red. Black. Black. Black, 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 red. Black, red? <laughs> red. What is the chance she's getting 50% right? She should get 50% right, shouldn't she? This one's what? Red. Red? Mm -hmm. Red. Black. What is, what is the chance? I know, not very good. Red. Red. Black. Black. 
Red. Really? Red? <laughs> really red? <laughs> red, black. Red, <laughs> black. This is the last one of this half. Red. Red. Mm -hmm. Okay. So she's now gone through and pulled out all the ones she thought was red and all the ones she thought was black. Now I'm going to throw her off a little bit. I'm going to pull these out. Now I'm going to move the red card over here. And I'm going to move the black card over here. So she says, these are red, these are black, right? Mm -hmm. Well, now let's put them on. So the black go over here and the red over here now. Mm -hmm. Can you do that? Okay. <laughs> Which is it? Red. 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 I think you missed that one. Black. <laughs> red. Oh, well. Red. Black. That's red. This is red. Mm-hmm. Black. This is Peugeot. I know. There's a lot of me. It's confusing. Red. It really is a handful. <laughs> red. Black. Red. Red. Black. Black. Let's, let's fool her. Let's make some up. Okay. Now. Black. Red. <laughs> Red. This is to make it be harder. Red. Red. Black. Black. And black. <sighs> the mighty, mighty, mighty brain. So she says that these are red on top mm -hmm. and these are black on the bottom right. on this side, right? So these she says, are all black. How many do you think she got right? Mm. Let's just look. Look at that. Whoa. Uh -huh. And she said, these are all red. <laughs> Perfect. I wonder how well she did over here. What do you think? Should we turn these over? She said these are all red. Mm -hmm. And she said these are all black. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Spooky. <laughs> now you know Spooky why it's Spooky action at a distance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. That is pretty spooky action at so a distance. So actually... This could involve a little trickery, right? Yes, yeah. but I don't know it. I, I, you didn't catch the trick, did you? You were no. just and I don't a good know. sport. You don't want to know. know. Why? Because you'd rather think it was... <laughs> Me. I want to think I'm smart. <laughs> I'd rather Actually, think that I have a really good brain. <laughs> this is a, is a clever trick that... Some people call it the Winston Churchill trick because a long time ago, a magician showed this trick. It's a trick to Winston Churchill, and he couldn't believe it. And he says, do it again. So he made the guy repeat it three times, and he was, he was really amazed. And, you know, there, there are some people that perform these little magical tricks, and the it's really kind of comical because it takes them like two minutes to perform, but 20 years to learn the trick. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Who's the joke on, really? <clears throat> but 
But it's, uh, it's a fact that our human brains have amazing capabilities. And when we have a surgery to reconnect the optic nerve after, say, it's been damaged in a bad accident, mm -hmm. the brain can relearn where all those pixels go and can bring our sight back. Uh, sometimes we'll have a person that has something wrong and they have to go in and have part of their brain surgically deactivated or removed and then another part of the brain will take over that function and it'll become reprogrammed, kind of like you load a program into a computer and you need a new computer, you upgrade, so you take the program, you move it over the new one, and it runs there too. It is really, really a remarkable thing. Why do I want to talk about that so much today? It's because it's very much on my mind. I am in the business of programming knowledge into brains. That's what I do for a living. You're a brain coach. And guess... <laughs> which computers I'm referring to. <laughs> you! Yeah, and uh, you know, if you uh, take one of the older computers and you want to load a program, you have to be very patient because it takes a long time to load all of that data, all that program into memory. On new computers, it seems like it takes about as long to boot up because every time we can load up faster, we decide to load up more. <laughs> so it's fascinating. Uh, a, a modern computer takes about as long as the old Billings computer did. But we were only loading 56K of, of memory, and we're loading now you know, a couple megabyte of memory. So, But the uh, idea of putting information into a computer, whether it's your program or it's data, an image you're going to see, a video, it's kind of like putting knowledge into the human computer, the human brain. And it's very viable when that information gets in there. Mm -hmm. it, it empowers you to do remarkable, remarkable things. Like Eastman Kodak, um, thank goodness he had a very patient mother that appreciated chemistry. <laughs> and he... She let him do his things there, and he changed the world. But it's with that knowledge that we are able to solve problems and do the many things that we're able to do. And to be able to get more and better knowledge into our minds quickly is a lot of the goal of Acellus. The flip side of that is putting it into our brains in such a way that it stays there longer and being able to remember. Um, during the, the pandemic that we've been through the last few years, a lot of students got way behind their grade level in their schooling. And they, they weren't able to go to school because they were trying to protect people from the spread of, of the sickness. And so they would, in many cases, study at home and very dedicated teachers would come on over a computer network using video software so they would be able to talk to the students if they could get them to sign on while the <laughs> teacher was available and to pay attention. And 
you know, if they could get the kids to turn off the TV while they're studying, that would have been good. But they're at home. And so it, it was just a very, very, very hard environment to be able to keep up with learning. In Acellus, we actually saw students move ahead of grade level during the pandemic. I won't say that happened with all of them, but I think it did with most all that were diligent in using it. And that's what, what happened. Before the pandemic, schools were starting to notice that when they would put their math students or their history students or whatever it was, their science students on a cellus, they would finish before the end of the year. And we started to get a lot of concerned complaints from principals, from superintendents, and from teachers. Uh, this doesn't work. Well, what's wrong? Well, the school year is only half over and we're out of material. What are we to do? And I thought, well, did they learn everything they were supposed to learn? Yes, but we still got a half year. We have to, we have to teach them the next half the year. There's nothing left to teach. Well, did you give them tests? Do they know the material? Yes, but you know, but they learned it too fast. Can't you slow it down? It's a real thing. And I said, well, I have an idea. Why don't you just give them the next class? No, that's for next year. Yeah, that's what they said. And, and that's how we've always come to think because we're doing it in a classroom and everybody learns at exactly the same speed. Even though no two people really learn at the same speed. Some learn so fast, some need more time. But the teacher has to go at the speed, really, if they're going to keep the class together, they have to go the speed of the slowest student. And sometimes that makes it really hard for the fast students because they learn it in a second, and then they have to sit there and daydream while the others are catching up. The nice thing about a computer-based learning system, online learning, is that you can go at your pace. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons why it goes faster is because when you're getting it, when this is something that you've been exposed to or you understand or you get it, we quickly go on to the next thing. And that really accelerates learning. Well, and there's a lot of things that we can and that we're starting to do better that will help you remember that knowledge. I told you about the thing that I'm, I'm calling 3DI. Everybody knows what a 3D is. A regular picture is two-dimensional. A 3D picture is where it's two-dimensional plus depth. We see, if we have two eyes that are a little bit apart, we see in three dimensionals. We can tell how big it is, and we can tell how far away it is. And we tell how far away it is by how far our two eyes have to focus in to see the same object. If it's way, 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 way out there in space, we don't have to bend in at all. I mean, it, it's just way out there. If it's real close, we have to go cross-eyed. And how much bend-in we do is how we're able to tell how far away it is. And again, the amazing human computer, the human brain, figures all this out for us automatically. And when you go to reach for something, you know right where to grab it mm -hmm. because you can tell how far away it is and your two eyes focus in, the brain calculates the distance. 
and you just reach and you just oh. reach for it. I have a nasty story that you I won't do, tell. I once got I got in trouble for we're telling my doing. story. Yeah. But it is it is marvelous. And I really believe that with the advent of adaptive 3DI e-learning that people are going to be able to learn so much quicker that we're going to be able to allow them to learn more. And um, one of the greatest minds of all time was um, Einstein, Albert Einstein. And in one year, he wrote papers that revolutionized so much of science. And they were on completely different subjects. Uh, science historians call it the miracle year, that he could write all of that revolutionary science in one year. And I think that there are a lot of very, very creative minds that if we can get them programmed, they will be able to have miracle years and miracle accomplishments. They say that a person with a very high IQ, that means they, they really have powerful mental ability, if they're put into an environment where they don't have a chance to get taught very well, become very frustrated. It's like subconsciously they know they're wasting their tremendous resource and they don't do much with life. I think as we learn to educate our, our minds better, we're going to find that we will, we will be happier. We will change society uh, in many ways. In all of the learning, probably the most important single thing that I've learned, the one that impacts my life, my happiness the most, is that I get the most satisfaction and happiness when I make someone else feel better. And you know, we have to have that kind of social emotional learning. And that's why I have my teacher here with me right now. Mm -hmm. She is teaching me to be social. But uh, we need to be well adjusted. We need to be our best. And we need to be our best so that every single day we're alive, we can enjoy. And you know, if you realize that's really what it's about, that's why people want money so they can enjoy their days. And for some people, getting that money is what ruins their days, especially if they cut corners and end up in prison. Uh, the money didn't make them very happy, did it? So we've got to learn, and, and you study this for yourself, and you draw your own conclusions. But if you're like me, and if you're like my mentor, Bill Lear, who used to talk with me about this, you're gonna discover that the way that you really find fulfillment and purpose and happiness in life is by doing things that lift others. That is the miracle of, of the human race. And if, if we can get there, we can really change this world. And it's to that end that I say, study hard. Okay, thank you.